This is the BearCast, presented by Bird Culture Ford. Bird Culture Ford has been in Waco since 1936. Ford is the number one selling truck in Texas, 43 years running. The BearCast is also presented by WellMed Medical Management and USMD Health System Dallas. Here's Craig Smoke and Grayson Grundhafer. Good afternoon and welcome into the BearCast on Sikkim365.com, 365 Sports, the 365 Sports YouTube channel. However you're consuming us this week, we do appreciate your time, both live and after the fact. And we are with you every Tuesday at around noon. And this is a special edition because it is leading us into Big 12 Media Days, which begin on Wednesday, last through Thursday, have uh, a few new teams to talk about that will be a part of the mix and a couple of teams that will be taking part in their last media days. So it should be an uh, eventful couple of days at AT&T Stadium in Arlington. We'll preview a bit of what will be going on there and talk a bit about what's been going on with Baylor football as uh, they approach media days. But uh, we'll also get into a little bit of recruiting uh, during this episode as well. But Craig Smoke with you, as always, joined by Grayson Grudhafer, Director of Broadcasting, Sikkim 365. Got Garrett Ross behind the scenes running the show as well. And uh, Grayson's been uh, quite a wait since last season. Uh, not a season that ended uh, very... Uh, you know, very well, I guess. Uh, wasn't the, the most entertaining exit for Baylor football last year. Vividly remember being in the post game uh, at Eamon Carter Stadium and walking out into the freezing cold afterwards and driving home and just kind of the, the miserable way everything ended. But that was last year. There's been a few months that have now gone by where they've retooled, they've changed up the staff, changed up the roster. And now it's Big 12 Media Day's time to, to go out there and present this new team for the very first time. So how are we doing this week? And uh, your thoughts on just what we're heading into now here in Arlington uh, over the next couple of days. I mean, I'm doing great. This is always a fun time to just kind of sit back and listen to all the different teams in the Big 12, including Baylor. I mean, it gives you an opportunity as far as Baylor goes to kind of turn the page a little bit. Um, you know, last year they went into media days with lots of expectations. A lot of people had them ranked very highly in their preseason polls. And now this year, Baylor's kind of, you know, in the new Big 12, they're not necessarily middle of the pack. Um, they're a little bit better than that, but still they're below the top you know, few schools in the league by a significant margin votes wise, and then ahead of the middle part by just a little bit. So very interesting. I'm excited to hear what Dave Randa uh, and the players have to say going into this. And then also just really excited to hear from all these coaches, the new programs as well will be really fun to listen to. So yeah, I mean, in general, I love uh, this day, which will be tomorrow for Baylor. So very excited for that. And very excited to just kind of get my foot, just kind of scope out the league a little bit. Yeah, well, we will be all over it. Uh, we'll be broadcasting live from there 3 to 6 uh, on both days. Myself, Smokey, Paul Catalina, bringing you interviews with various head coaches and players and talking about all the storylines uh, that the Big 12 has to offer up. Brett Yormark will not be speaking at the very beginning like he typically does. Um, so that'll be a little bit different. It actually starts, what, like midday uh, on day one. So rather than being there at like 9 a.m., as it's kind of typically been, it's going to be a little bit later of a start. And I think that's kind of okay, actually, because I don't think it's really necessary to be out there for 10 hours or, or what have you. So, um, you know, interested to hear what he inevitably has to say. And uh, I'm sure they would have liked to have had some expansion news to talk about or something like that, but that remains unresolved. And regardless, it doesn't really matter. There will be plenty to chew on. And so let's get into a little bit of what that entails when it comes to Baylor football. Before we get into the, the polls and the preseason team, uh, let's touch on the commit from last week first and just kind of catch up there because there's not really much to talk about, I don't believe, recruiting-wise beyond that. So let's get that done, and then we'll cover all of the rest as far as uh, media day. But last week, Alex Foster, defensive end from Greenville, Mississippi, committed to Baylor on July the 4th. So it's been a few days now, uh, nearly an entire week, but we didn't have a show last week, so weren't able to talk about it. And uh, he becomes commit number 12 for the class of 2024, a class that's kind of in the middle of the back of the pack when it comes to the Big 12 rankings. Still a bit of a ways to go, only 12 commits, but uh, good to see them dipping out of state. They've done that 
Uh, now on more than one occasion, had Bo Tate from Utah and Nate Bennett from California and Tristan Santora from Louisiana. And then the rest of the class, pretty much Texas guys, save for Foster now, who joins from the state of Mississippi. So uh, your thoughts on what his addition means um, and all that comes with uh, the commitment of Alex Foster. Right. So he, in my rankings, is an 89 on Sikkim 365. According to multiple sites, he's kind of in that middling to kind of borderline high three-star territory. Um, so I think a lot of people look at that and go, okay, well, this is just another commit. No big deal. Uh, but when you look a little bit deeper, you realize that Baylor's official visits on them, they only had two defense alignment take official visits, specifically only one defensive end, and that defensive end was Alex Foster. Uh, that just kind of proves the point that this is the guy they wanted. And Dennis Johnson targeted him. They were the first uh, Power 5 school to offer him. Uh, he grew a very extensive offer list when you look at schools like Kentucky, Louisville, Memphis, Tulane, UAB, Mississippi State, Arkansas, Georgia Tech. Um, a nice win here for Baylor, but even bigger than that, this is about them targeting their top guy on the board, basically cutting off communication with all other defense linemen or defense ends in this class and getting their guy. And that's the most important thing. And also when you win a head-to-head -head battle with Mississippi State for a prospect from the state of Mississippi, that's a big deal. And that doesn't typically happen very often. So yeah, huge. Uh, this is a guy, he had 48 tackles, 14 for loss, 10 and a half sacks, and two forced fumbles as a junior. He also helped lead his team to a state championship uh, there at St. Joseph. So a really good prospect when it comes to production. And then you look at his frame, which what does Baylor love? Tall, athletic, and guys who already have pretty good size. And he's sitting there at right around 6'5", 270 pounds as a junior. Uh, so by the time he enrolls, we're looking at someone that's probably going to be right around 6'5", 6'6", 280 pounds, which is pretty typical of what Baylor wants to add for their defensive line position. Think Gabe Hall, think TJ Franklin. That's kind of the mold that I see Alex Foster growing into uh, during his time at Baylor. So there you go, Alex Foster, the latest commit for uh, the Baylor Bears in their class of 2024, 12 total now. Uh, anywhere from a handful to 10 more guys uh, to go. You never know with attrition. No, we just saw last week, and granted we're playing a little bit of catch-up, but somewhere in the mix of July 4th and days off and everything, Elijah Ellis uh, announced that he was transferring, and I don't know if that was uh, – out there um, kind of a known deal, like if that was expected or not, but I saw him put that out there about a week ago. Did you not see that? I, I believe you're talking about Elijah Bean. Oh, Elijah Bean, Correct. sorry, okay. yeah. Elijah Bean, so the wide Elijah receiver. Elijah Ellis yeah. is still on the roster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. The offensive lineman. But yes, Elijah, Elijah Bean, Bean is in the transfer portal. Uh, we would kind of mentioned it on yeah. Sikkim 365 premium side, kind of an under-the-radar type thing. Um, you know, this is just a situation where it was pretty clear that the playing time was not going to be there for him, it seems. And, you know, outside of that, there's not much really for me to add to this outside of the fact that the depth chart's pretty set and guys are eventually going to have to decide if they're going to stay or leave uh, during their time at Baylor because, I mean, they're pretty deep kind of across the board uh, and especially at the wide receiver position. Yeah, I didn't mean to startle anybody over Elijah Ellis, but, um, yeah, Elijah Bean... Uh, that's the latest uh, to drop off the roster, and so that's just part of the deal and part of the the turnover, and that you know opens up spots or leads to a walk on getting a spot, and that's the kind of fluctuation that you'll have. So when I say they have anywhere from, you know, ten to twelve or whatever the case may be, that's a number that's going to move. And uh, so right now at twelve, give or take ten more guys in this class, and we'll see you know if that grows or shrinks depending on how they kind of handle the situation right and with elijah bean moving on i believe the number is at 80 um we're still waiting the enrollment of a johnny carter uh, the commit from utah state he is not enrolled yet which was expected he's just finishing up some things uh, on his end so that would get them to 81 so four more spots it seems like are available uh for baylor if you kind of go through the scholarship situation and they're still going out and recruiting guys as well one guy to keep an eye on 
a Maine a graduate transfer, Justin Sambu. Uh, I believe we've mentioned him on the podcast. If we haven't, we've definitely mentioned him on the premium side. He's got one year of eligibility remaining, uh, but he seems like a likely target uh, for Baylor. They've been in contact with him, um, and he actually did let me know that they offered him as well. So we'll see what happens there. It seems like it's one of those Mississippi State versus Baylor type of battles for Sambu, who was pretty productive during his time at Maine and could be a nice addition as Baylor can kind of fluctuate their roster a little bit, right? They can look at some transfers, potentially add some walk-ons on scholarship as well. So uh, they might not just be, they might not be done yet adding to this uh, roster for the 2023 season. So we'll keep an eye on that and obviously pass along any information we get uh, via the message board. If you haven't become a member already and you're a Baylor fan, no better time to sign up as football season is a little over a month away, and we've got media days, as we mentioned at the top of the show, starting on Wednesday. And uh, let's get into that now because that's kind of the big, the big topic at this point. A few things to unpack from attendees to the schedule itself, but uh, tomorrow, uh, as you're listening to this, we record on a Tuesday, but July the 12th will be day number one in Arlington and will feature Baylor, BYU, Houston, Kansas, Oklahoma. Well, actually, yeah. Okay, Baylor, BYU, Houston, Oklahoma, Houston, Kansas, Baylor, BYU, Houston, Kansas, Oklahoma State, TCU, Texas. I think I finally got that right. Uh, will be the day number one attendees. And then on Thursday, you'll have UCF, Cincinnati, Iowa State, Kansas State, Oklahoma, and Texas Tech. So the Bears joined by the Longhorns and the Frogs and the Pokes and the Jayhawks, the Cougars from both BYU and Houston ought to make for a good little uh, lineup and, and quite interesting. And wonder if that means that the Texas folks will bail out after day number one. Uh, they're usually, you know, like a hundred of them uh, jam-packed in there to listen to, you know, I guess Sarkeesian these days. But before that, it was Herman and Charlie Strong and all those guys. So uh, maybe it'll clear out a little bit, but there will be plenty of Oklahoma media uh, still over there on day number two. So shouldn't dissipate too much, but should make for uh, – you know, a fun and eventful couple of days because you're going to have the Texas-Oklahoma storylines, but you've also got the four new schools, and then you've got all of the other schools, you know, the the uh, originals and the somewhat originals and and those that will be hanging out past this, this year. So, uh, interesting mix. And when it comes to Baylor, we know who their player reps are. Uh, quarterback Blake Shapin, tight end Drake Dabney, wide receiver Josh Cameron, Defensive lineman T.J. Franklin and linebacker Mike Smith Jr. will be the players that we hear from along with head coach Dave Aranda. So that is who they will have at their disposal uh, for everybody out there you know, with microphones wanting to get a, a piece and, and a listen into what Baylor's had going on this offseason. Uh, did we talk about the lineup last time? I don't know. It's been a couple of weeks, and I don't even mm. know if it was official yet. So I guess we haven't. Your thoughts on Shapin, Dabney, Cameron, Franklin, and Mike Smith Jr., the newcomer transfer from Liberty, uh, being the group that will speak with the media starting tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, I think Dabney and Franklin were two pretty obvious ones, and then Blake Shapin already being announced as starting quarterback makes a lot of sense as well. And then you look at Josh Cameron, a guy who was a walk-on, earned a scholarship, played meaningful minutes last year is considered a leader on this team so he makes a lot of sense as well the one that was kind of just out there a little bit was Mike Smith Jr. just because he's a transfer from Liberty uh, he was there during the spring so you know he made an impact as a leader but this is something that I think we heard throughout the spring just what he brought to the table his leadership uh, what he could bring to the defense just as far as again the on the field the off the field the vocal leader just everything along those lines that we heard in the spring, I think has translated. And that's the reason he got selected uh, to be one of these player representatives. And that's great to see because they definitely need more leadership uh, in the locker room in general, and especially on the defensive side of the ball coming off of a, a rather disappointing performance last year. Yeah, uh, interesting to see them bringing you know, a full allotment of five guys. Uh, as you said, Smith being a newcomer, that means he's made a quick impact. And at linebacker, when you lose guys like Dylan Doyle and just some of the leadership they sort of depended on or familiar faces, good to see that he's come in so quickly and made uh, a big difference, obviously, to be selected to go to media days. Uh, Franklin, that's a no-brainer. I mean, he's about as veteran of a veteran as you can get on this roster. Shaping, it's time. It's time to throw him 
in front of everybody and have him represent your brand. And if you weren't confident enough to do that at this point, then I would question when you would ever be confident enough to do that. So that's good to see. And I think we all know for Blake, it's kind of sink or swim now at this point. Like, hey, you got the reins last year. You even got a little bit of a mulligan if you really think about it because there's still, you know, um, the thought that you've got a lot of room to grow and they didn't just give up on you, but they also threw you back into a quarterback competition. You win that again and you're clearly the guy now for two straight seasons. You're a veteran. You played a lot of football. It's time. It's time to go be the guy speaking for the program. And I know he's been working on, you know, talking and the media and those kinds of things over the last year plus. So, um, uh, We'll get to see that up close and personal. I think that'll be uh, something positive for both he and the program. And then, yeah, Dabney and Cameron just seem like guys who they're expecting to be some playmakers for them this year, and there's a good number of candidates to do so. But um, that's, I think, something that speaks very well of both of those guys uh, also. So that's an interesting group. Wouldn't necessarily have pegged all five of those like that. Like you said, Mike Smith, a little bit of a question mark, or Josh Cameron popping up. Uh, but that's a, an interesting mix, and everybody will have uh, at least four guys there, from best I can tell, uh, all 14 teams. So used to be like three, and then people would kind of stretch it to four, but now Baylor's one of several schools that's got five guys out there, so there will be plenty of uh, action to take in for the media that's present and plenty for uh, us Baylor reporters to chew on from the Bears alone as well. So meanwhile, you've got the player representatives. You've got the day, which will be day number one, for them. Uh, also got the media preseason polls, uh, both for the teams and also uh, for the players. And let's start off with the players and the media preseason poll. Uh, as far as the superlatives go, you had Jalen Daniels, Kansas quarterback, named the Offensive Player of the Year. Defensive Player of the Year, Jalen Ford, linebacker from UT and Newcomer of the Year, Kansas State running back, Treshawn Ward, who transfers to the Big 12 champs after his uh, original start with the Florida State Seminoles. So he takes over to help offset the loss of Deuce Vaughn. And given the way that they run the football, um, you could have gone a lot of different directions, quite frankly, with newcomer of the year because you can go with, you know, regular old recruits who come in and make a quick impact or because of the transfer portal now you've got any number of guys that could be selected. Uh, but he makes sense because of how much they do run and uh, how much it seems like they're going to be, you know, depending on him to be, uh, you know, a big-time player for them. So any thoughts on those three superlatives and uh, any surprises that come with those? To me, it seems like, you know, obviously offensive player of the year, you could have gone a lot of different directions. I think Jalen Daniels, though, is a respectable pick. Uh, because typically it feels like it would go to a more popular guy maybe um, from a bigger brand even. But, uh, you know, he's obviously got a lot of electricity surrounding him. Jalen Ford, I think, seems to make a lot of sense with the year that he had. Arguably could have been defensive player of the year last year. Certainly there was a case to be made. But Felix Anadike Uzama from K-State was the preseason and regular season player. But uh, Ford makes sense there. I think it Seems about right for, for these picks, but you could have gone differently and wouldn't have been that big of a deal. Yeah, I picked Jalen Daniels. Uh, he was my offensive player of the year going in. I, he's going to have a huge year. If he stays healthy, I, I feel pretty confident about that. My defense player of the year, Jalen Ford, was definitely on my short list. There are about three guys that I was strongly looking at, but I, I actually went with Colin Oliver out of Oklahoma State, which, again, I, I feel like a lot of people probably looked at him as a possibility. The newcomer of the year, I've actually been doing my you know week-by-week -week predicting the Big 12, and Treshawn Ward has come up a lot in that. He wasn't my initial pick, um, but he makes a lot of sense um, for the newcomer of the year award. I, I went with Keytron Jackson, but that's just because I, I do think that he's going to have a huge role uh, in this Baylor offense next year. But there are a lot of guys, Dre McCray at Texas Tech, JoJo Earl at TCU, a lot of offensive weapons have been added to this conference. And so, yeah, very, very interested in that. But Trayshawn Ward makes a lot of sense, like you said. And it doesn't have to be an offensive player. I mean, you could have gone yeah. defense as well, but typically offense does get more of the rub uh, with awards. So 
uh, no surprise there. And, you know, this is a conference known for a lot of big offense. Uh, so, yeah, that that's fine. And, and like I said, you could debate and have different picks. I mean, Will Howard as Offensive Player of the Year, Quinn Ewers as Offensive Player of the Year, Dylan Gabriel as Offensive Player of the Year. We're just talking quarterbacks, and you could have gone with any of those guys and made a case. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, fun to see those and fun to debate those. But Jalen Daniels definitely deserving. Uh, Jalen Ford definitely deserving. And Trayshawn Ward, again, that makes sense. Now, meanwhile, uh, with the actual preseason poll and how the teams were picked to finish, uh, you had Texas as the pretty overwhelming favorite to win the conference this year. First time in a few years for them. I know it doesn't ever seem like that. It seems like every year they're the favorite, right? But Oklahoma was the favorite for a lot of those years, and actually rightfully so because they won the conference for a lot of those years up until the last couple as they've tried to adjust from this Riley transition and you know Baylor popping up a couple years ago and winning the conference over Oklahoma State. So they've faded as you know your kind of perennial favorite. And Texas has always been, you know, anywhere from the two to three range, um, it, mostly it seems like. Uh, but it had been a while since they were actually picked to win the league. So they are the pick, and they have 41 first-place votes, uh, by far and away the most uh, first-place votes. Uh, number two, I guess let's just start there. Texas as the preseason favorite. That's who I would have gone with or who I went with. Uh, I know people roll their eyes, they hear that, and they're like, oh, every year. But again, it's not every year if you really look at it. It's actually been several years. It just feels that way. Um, And then even once you get past that, I mean, I've been writing these little previews of everybody in the Big 12, and I think I said maybe in the Texas one of like, tell me why people are overplaying them because I don't see it. I don't see how they're getting like this – Texas love undeservedly. I think it's all very deserved, and if not now, wins a legitimate question because they have NFL talent all over the roster. And as I believe I wrote in there, they've got a defensive player of the year candidate at every level, line, linebacker, secondary. They've got a guy that could be the defensive player of the year. Offense, same exact thing. At every position, they've got a guy who could arguably be, you know, running back's a little bit more of a question mark, but you get the point that I'm making here. Um, they should be getting love, and and I think it's justified this year. Yeah, they were my uh, choice as well. Um, and you're you're kind of exactly right. It's one of those things where you can make all the excuses, and you can look through the past you know decade really, and say, well, you can't pick them because of that. I understand all that, but if you look at the roster, if you look at what they have coming back, if you look at what they did at the end of last year, and kind of translate that forward. I do think that there's a solid case for putting them at number one. And so I put them at number one. Will it happen? Will it not? My bet would be that they don't end up winning the Big 12 because I do think that taking the field is the smart choice. Um, But I think if you're going to pick one team at this moment, I do feel like it has to be Texas uh, or the team that's in second. It's got to be one of those two in my eyes, but Texas is uh, the favorite at this moment. Yeah, and I've been guilty of putting them at the top before, um, but I think that uh, this is definitely a year where you look at the field and they just have the more of the checks uh, that you tick off of the list than uh, than most of the other teams out there. And that doesn't mean that there's not other favorites out there. There was a handful of teams that all received first-place votes, and so this kind of shapes up to be a year that most people expect, no matter who you had at the top of the conference or at the bottom of the conference, I think we all believe this will be a very competitive year where you know, any number of teams could jump up and win it. And I think that was shown in the way that the first-place votes were uh, divvied out. Kansas State, the defending champs, come in at number two, 14 first-place votes. Oklahoma selected third, also receiving four first-place votes. Texas Tech, fourth receiving four first-place votes, and TCU fifth, receiving three first-place votes. So that's the top five, Texas, K-State, Oklahoma, Texas Tech, TCU, all of them receiving at least three first-place votes. And then Oklahoma State actually will get to them, but they also received a first-place vote as well. Uh, So they weren't... uh, They weren't in that top five, but they did have at least one person who gave them love, which is very interesting because uh, I trust Gundy, but there's a lot of question marks there. But anyways, we can get to them. So K-State, Oklahoma, Texas Tech, TCU, 
How do you feel about that top five uh, rounding out uh, past Texas? So there's clearly some Big 12 media voters who decided to really just tank on Texas because Texas had 41 first place votes compared to 14 for Kansas State, yet K-State was only, what, 28 votes overall votes behind Texas, which means to most, to a lot of people who didn't vote Texas as number one, they probably had Texas at like number five or something along those lines and K-State was still near the top. So I found that really interesting. They're actually very close in total votes, just not in, or total points, just not in first place votes uh, at the moment. Now there's a big drop off after K-State. Then you get to the Oklahoma, Texas Tech, TCU, and that feels like a tier for most media voters. Those three right there. Um, we've talked about this. I've been, we've been talking kind of just us two about this. Tech is getting a whole lot of love and a whole lot of hype from a lot of people for first place votes, which is tied for third in the conference is rather interesting. Um, and then TCU who, you know, didn't win the big 12 last year, but wore the runner up in the national championship are projected to finish fifth. Um, all that I found rather interesting, but not really surprised by any of it. Yeah. I'm not surprised by by any of that, I think when you look at K-State, there's obviously reason to believe that they can uh, get past, you know, losing Deuce Vaughn, and uh, they've got the troops to be able to uh, overcome uh, any talent losses, and they just seem to be in a good place, a good little rhythm right now with the direction that they're headed. So you have Will Howard back. You have some other pretty essential pieces back, including your offensive line and your All-American there in uh, BB, Cooper BB. Um, there's there's a lot to like about them. Um, so, yeah, I totally get K-State and the love there. Uh, Oklahoma, I get last year was rough, but they had a pretty productive offseason. And I do think that they still have some talent and they attacked the portal and made some moves there. And, you know, I think they deserve the benefit of the doubt. It's not like you're picking them number one, but to sit there and look at their roster and still think that they're better than the majority of the teams, I think is more than fair. And I think if you look at their schedule last year, and I know last year doesn't necessarily translate to this year, but a lot of people are weighing them down because of what happened last year. They weren't that far off from being way better than that final record looked like. I know that there were some embarrassing moments, but you look at some of those, they lost some close games, and they could very well have won like eight or nine games, and we'd be viewing them probably very differently. I will say, though, I don't think they're being weighed down that. I mean, they're projected third, so they're not being weighed down right. to the level of like Baylor is. No, 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 you no, know no, what I mean? no. Because they both came in with high expectations last year and both lost a ton of just games where you're like, that's a coin flip. Sure. So I just. They're still third. I mean, no, yeah, they're like getting they the benefit got, of the yeah. doubt. I, I think is all all that is is like that. They they're not the overwhelming favorite like they had no. been for so many years. So it's a little bit different for them. But point being that even though they had a bad year, everybody rightfully still expects Oklahoma to be Oklahoma and still win a bunch of games and be one of the most talented teams. So it's not surprising to see them at third. Texas Tech, like you said, getting a lot of hype, and then TCU, I think, could very well be higher than five. Um, they could kind of plug and play some guys potentially. We'll have to wait and see there, but I think that they're going to be sitting just fine, and, and I know they lose a lot, but I think they'll still be pretty good. So Texas uh, at the top, get to number six here, and that's where you'll find the Baylor Bears, 572 total points, and there's pretty significant drop-off from TC at five to Baylor at six, and then, um, you know, about a 100-point drop-off from them to Oklahoma State. So I don't know if that puts them in Tier 2 or they're in, like, Tier 1B by themselves, uh, but they're kind of in that no-man's land right there in the middle at number 6. And, you know, quite frankly, I don't think they deserve a first-place vote. They didn't get one. I don't know that they deserve to be really all that much higher, and I don't think they deserve to be that much lower. I think they're about right, right there in the middle of the pack and uh, more room to go up than go down, I think. But um, I think a lot of people are just really unsure of what to think of Baylor this year. So just to add some transparency here, I have Baylor third. In, I had Baylor third in my preseason poll. I, I had it Texas, Kansas State, Baylor, Oklahoma, TCU, then Texas Tech. was So still those six schools, though. Um, but I do think Baylor's going to be better than this. And I think it's pretty telling. The 572 points tells you that 
the media feels better about those top five teams. I think they feel like there's more either hype or sure things in that group. But then below Baylor, no one thinks that the, you know, that everything's going to just completely fall off for the Bears either, which I think, again, makes them a pretty sneaky, dangerous team in the middle of the pack there. I think they're in a rather good position. I agree with you. They don't deserve a first place vote. Um, I'm not sure a couple of these teams deserve a first place vote, but uh, that's neither here nor there. I think Baylor was kind of projected about what I thought they would going into this, um, but I do have them a little bit higher because I do think there are some things that tell me that, hey, maybe they're going to be better than Texas Tech because they went on the road and beat Tech by 28 points at home and now they get tech at home this year they lost tcu by a game-winning field goal last year they beat oklahoma on the road last year i just there's some things in there that maybe aren't completely adding up especially because baylor has a very manageable schedule this year with a bunch of home games yeah this is going to be a really important year for them because if they don't handle this schedule very well and they're not going to get one like that for the foreseeable future then i think that you start to have some questions really creep in of kind of just and that'll all depend on the the end result like if it's similar to last year then i think you start to press the the red button a little bit and go "Uh oh what's mm -hmm. going on here um but again need to get in there and wait in there a little bit before we start to have those types of conversations about overall direction and things but I think middle of the pack is about right for them. I mean, they haven't done enough to get the benefit of the doubt. Um, and in comparison to the others that we just mentioned, there's just a bit more going in their favor at the moment. Um, so maybe flying under the radar a little bit is a good place for them to be. Uh, starting off at the second half of the conference voting for the preseason, uh, following Baylor, you've got Oklahoma State at number seven. As I mentioned, they got one first-place vote. Uh, at number eight, the first newcomer, UCF, selected uh, number eight in the Big 12. Kansas at number nine, um, which is weird because there is a lot of hype for them, including having the Offensive Player of the Year in Jalen Daniels and a lot of other pieces back, but still ninth place finish is pretty low down yeah. there for what could be a great year. And then at number 10, I think another – I think this whole second half, like who the heck really knows, quite frankly – uh, but Iowa State at number 10, I've seen them picked anywhere from 10 to 14, given the poll. But Oak State, UCF, KU, and Iowa State rounding out the rest of the 10. Yeah, and I think the tier break is right above Iowa State. I think that tier of Oklahoma State, UCF, and Kansas, I had a lot of trouble ranking those schools. I think at the end of the day, I think I put UCF at 7, Oklahoma State at 8, Kansas at 9. It's not because I think any of them are going to be bad. I just think they're a little bit below the top you know, six in the league, but I think they're far and away better than the bottom, what, five teams in the league. Um, so I think you're looking at bowl teams, all three of them being bowl teams this year, which I think would be a very good accomplishment for all three of them after not just the offseason that they had, but UCF coming to a new conference, Kansas trying to build on what they did a year ago and make it to back-to-back -back bowl games. And OSU, I mean, just they lost so much. It's hard to really get a feel for exactly what they're going to be, but all three of these teams I think will be pretty good, pretty respectable and will definitely make those top six teams sweat each time they play them. Yeah, I think this is uh, kind of a bowl cutoff line too, just sort of the last teams that you feel pretty confident. Like I think UCF should make a bowl game. I think KU should make a bowl game. I think Oklahoma State will be right there in the mm -hmm. mix. Iowa State will be right on that line potentially. I mean, they're really confusing because you just don't know much about them and um, sort of where they fall. Uh because you'd expect them to be better than last year. But then again, it's just it's a more crowded field. So I think that's where you start to get in that, like, mm, not sure if they'll be in the postseason or not kind of line. And then closing out the rest of the 14, and these are, you know, I think BYU is going to be a fringe bowl team, but they're at number 11. Houston at number 12. Cincinnati at number 13. And how disrespectful, sure. West Virginia at 14 behind every single one of the four new schools. Uh, so, yeah, BYU, Houston, Cincy, West Virginia, 11 through 14. In West Virginia with 129 votes. Yeah, they, there's I, I no mean, confidence in them right now. There, yeah, there's just this feel, I think, that everyone believes by the midway point in the season, they're just going to be Neil Brown's gone. Like, well, this it's just because snowballs. they've got a new AD, and that typically doesn't bode well for the sitting coach, uh, especially when that sitting coach is already kind of on a hot seat to begin with. So then you add a new AD who, you know, those guys, 
folks typically want their own people. You've got this mess going on in basketball right now that's at least distracting you from football for the time being, but just the whole kind of athletic department's a fire that new AD Ren Baker's trying to put out, but there's just a lot of not not a lot known about them, and I think the biggest thing is, is besides the points I already mentioned, is they got a really hard schedule. I mean, they got Penn State and Pittsburgh in the first month, so they could be one and three, two and two out of the gates and then go into Big 12 play. And it's not like you're expecting them to win a bunch of games in conference. So it's like, where are the wins coming from? And it's a hard enough schedule early on that they could be like one and five. And then it begs the question of, are they like, how early would they possibly fire Neil Brown? It's just, Mm -hmm. it sucks. The situation sucks because you can't even really get all excited because even if they were to really exceed expectations, there's really no way they're going to be good enough to be like great and like make it a, you know, championship season. So you're exceeding expectations to maybe win like seven games. And then that's still not like, you know, you're basically walking into a a throwaway season already just on paper. So obviously they can change fortunes and, and do a lot better, but it just, it feels very much like dead man walking right now. And I think that that's just sort of mirrored in the, uh, in the, voting here for the preseason it really does and i think i put them at 11 i think so i do have a little more confidence in them to win some games but you're right i mean penn state duquesne pitt texas tech at tcu in their first five weeks four like, losses very well <laughs> probably could be. yeah i mean if they find a way to go three and two and then they get houston oklahoma state ucf byu there's four very winnable games but you're right at what where is their mindset at going into that stretch and yeah i mean i understand it completely because ba- i mean baylor plays them at the end of the year which is probably going to end up being the best possible time to play west virginia because it could really uh the wheels could come off yeah, we'll see. Uh, West Virginia is not Baylor's full kryptonite. That's those folks in Fort Worth uh, these last few years, but they're not far off. And the like, just improbable wins, like or last at least year, keeping it like randomly yeah. close. Yeah. Teams that really they should just probably beat and move on. Like somehow becomes this massive struggle. Uh, last year, Shaping gets hurt. They lose that game, and we know how just not good West Virginia was, and that. I mean that's the that's the difference in being six and seven and seven and six and seven and six feels a lot better than six and seven because you're above five. So you know it, it's been one of those things. So yeah, late in the year, who the heck knows? But you would think that they might have a lame duck coach at that point. And if they don't, then that itself will be a big story because somehow Neil Brown has you know kept it afloat and or Ren Baker's just remained incredibly patient and they've been able to be competitive enough to you know last out the year. But that is certainly a you know, a program that doesn't have a lot of juice and it'll be interesting to kind of hear their perspective at Big 12 Media Day. So there's the poll. Texas the favorite, but five others all receiving first place votes. K-State, Oklahoma, Texas Tech, TCU, and Oklahoma State. Baylor picked to finish sixth out of 14. So there you go with that. And I think that's a lot of the bases covered for Big 12 Media Days. Uh, I know that there was a roster released uh, earlier today, an updated roster. Anything uh, exceptional to note from uh, the latest release there? Well, I mean, Baylor's starting two linebackers just put on a, or had to have put on a ton of weight. Matt Jones went from 224 pounds to 246 pounds on the new roster update, which is just a massive jump for him. And then Mike Smith, I believe, was 225 pounds going into the spring, and now he's up to 240. So Baylor's starting linebackers are both 240-plus pounds uh, going into the year. That is a big group. That would be by far the biggest group ever that I've that I've ever seen at Baylor um, since I've been covering them at least to have two guys like that that's pretty insane uh, Jaron Woods the freshman defensive lineman he is not listed on the current roster he was in the 2023 class um, I'm not sure if we'd mentioned it mentioned it on here definitely mentioned it on the premium side he was dealing with a really brutal leg injury that he suffered in the first game of the year during his senior year of high school hasn't quite fully recovered from that so we'll see what happens with him going forward but he is not on the current roster uh javon gibson back on the roster he's up to 220 pounds after being 200 pounds last fall um that was one to keep an eye on blake shaping up five pounds to 205 Sora robertson up to 218 pounds uh, which i believe is a seven pound jump so pretty big there um 
Secondary-wise, I felt like guys got a lot bigger. When you look at, you know, Devin Bobby is now 187 pounds. Alfonso Allen's now 197 pounds. Uh, Devin Lemire is in the, I think he's at 186 pounds. All these guys were in the low 180 or 170 pounds. You're looking at guys that are now finally getting to the point where their bodies are ready to hold up, I think, for an entire Big 12 season. Uh, Those were a lot of the big ones. You know, a lot of freshmen on there. Lots of guys who I think showed that they're coming in with the preferred weight that they need to be at in order to push for playing time. Um, So yeah, all of that was pretty good, but those were some of the more notable ones. Oh, also Keytron Jackson is up to 208 pounds after being listed at 195 pounds in the spring. So he's put on some good weight as well. All right, so the roster out, nothing notable as far as like major position changes or names missing or anything like that, but a lot of updates size-wise as Grayson just pointed out and I'll get to dive a bit more into that as um, you know things like that start to trickle out and can kind of digest them and you know uh, just have fun with kind of predicting and and seeing how all the things are starting to fall into place here uh, just what about six weeks away Mm -hmm. from the start of the season so uh, media days have arrived and there'll be another month or so after that and then fall camp starts up so it's all Uh, kind of getting underway here and uh, hopefully you're as excited about it as we are but there's pretty much everything going on I mean there's the the player reps Uh, again on Wednesday Baylor will be uh, out in front of the media pick to finish sixth Uh, just the I guess we didn't do the all big 12 team actually yeah so the all big 12 team forgot to touch on that that is one other thing to get to we move on into the poll Craig who did you where did you put Baylor in your preseason, do you happen to remember? Uh, yeah, I sent it in the um, other day, and I want to say that I had them at five. Five, okay. Yeah, I had Texas, K-State, um, and it's the same teams at the Oklahoma. top. Uh, yeah, I think I had Oklahoma at three. I think I, th- I, think I did Texas, K-State, Oklahoma, TCU, Baylor, Tech, I think was how I did it. So same six. I yeah. think those are the six that we all think are like, they're right. contenders. They can actually maybe win the Big 12. Yeah, yeah. And I had them above Tech. That would really be the only change. Um, and then I think, you know, the bottom half, that can kind of be arranged also. Like I didn't, I think I had Houston lower than West Virginia. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I had uh, UCF behind Kansas, you know, little yeah. tweaks like that. But yeah, that was, that was the top of my, my, okay. my yeah. Deal. My biggest mover was Baylor, I guess, out of the whole list. We were pretty, it was pretty chalk, honestly, outside of that, as far as the media and my poll, mm-hmm. um, when it came down to it, but yeah, you know, a little more confidence in the bears than, in, than the media does. Yeah. And you know, it's understandable. I mean, we don't really know. We cover them closely. We don't really know what to expect all the way. Whereas if you're an outsider and you're looking at them and they don't, they don't have a lot of big name guys like Jalen Daniels, where you go like, Oh, well they got that guy i mean i think it'd be a you know if we were more of a a bit show you could go around with a wireless mic and interview people about baylor and get all sorts of weird answers on like who do you think they're because i don't think people really know all that much about them quite frankly i mean they know who shapen is but i don't think that like you know he's wowed anybody to where you're like yeah i I just think Mm -hmm. they're they're a confusing team just keep in mind that baylor was picked eighth in 2021 the year that they won the big 12 championship so just something to well, keep and also keep in mind they were picked to win it last year, and they finished seven and six for overall. sure. So, so yeah, they're back to the middle of the pack again. So the expectations are much lower than they were a season ago. For sure. All right. Uh, the one final note to touch on football wise was the Big Twelve preseason football team. Uh, we'll spend a lot of time going through the entire thing, but Richard Reese was the one selection for Baylor. First team preseason All Big Twelve running back, joined by Kansas's Devin Neal. Uh, Jalen Daniels was the first-team quarterback. Uh, You had Brennan Presley from OSU, Xavier Worthy from Texas, Jaron Bradley from Texas Tech, your wide receivers. Uh, Jatavian Sanders from Texas, your tight end. A mix of guys on the offensive line. Uh, Defensively, that's where you saw Cincinnati get their one pick, and Dante Corleone along with the are along the uh, defensive line and a mix of guys from all over. Uh, TCU pretty well represented, Oklahoma State with a couple. Um, I mean, again, I I don't think we have time to go through all of these, but does anything really jump out at you? I think this is pretty chalk for most people. They look at last year and who's returning from last year, and then you you mix in a little bit of the newcomers and 
who you think might be, you know, taking a step up. But I think the Reese pick especially is just a, all right, who's back that was high-ranking last year? Because I don't even know that he's going to be like Baylor's number one running back all that often, you know, because Dominic Richardson's going to take some carries. So this very much felt like a, well, we need somebody from Baylor and – Bijan's gone and Eric Gray's gone yeah. and and so oh Richard Reese all right he's back let's go ahead pick him Devin Neal same thing so that's okay but that's how it came across to me your thoughts on Reese and anything else from this uh, preseason list right now I think Richard Reese is gonna be fantastic yeah this no year. Doubt. don't get me wrong but there's just a lot of guys that are going to get touches out of the backfield when you're looking at even Bryson Washington and, of course, Dominic Richardson, who they added out of the transfer portal. So three guys are going to get carries at least on this team, and Quaylen Jones is probably going to be kind of in the mix as well. Uh, but I do think Richard is a very good player. I understand why he was picked for first team. He wasn't on my list, um, but that's mainly because of how many carries I think other guys are going to get. Um, you know, I did have Clark Barrington on my list but i also understand that if you look at the offensive line these are a bunch of veteran guys who have been very productive at their respective schools along the offensive line i mean this offensive line is fantastic this all big 12 one so i understand why he got passed up there uh, on the defensive side you know guys like gavin holmes at texas jade baron at texas i think are two guys that maybe could have gotten picked. Uh, it's just a really tough position because, again, the Big 12 is so deep at the defensive back uh, spot. But in general, I, I think it's all seems pretty right, to be honest, outside of you know maybe a couple here and there that I disagree with. Um, but for the most part, yeah, I think uh, this is a pretty good list, to be honest. Yeah, and going off last year, there's really nobody else. I mean, you might have thrown TJ Franklin on there, but there's not a lot of Barrington, as you mentioned, but... More of it's just like, I think this guy's going to be good rather than they've shown it at this point. So Reese has shown it, and I think that's why he got the love that he did. But it will be a, a group effort at running back this season. All right, to the mailbag we go. Bears 224. Do you know anything about the mystery commit that happened a little while ago? If so, when do you think we might hear, or is there a reason why it hasn't gone public yet? Yeah, I mean, I know a lot about it. <laughs> but, uh, but, I mean... Hopefully you've been reading the premium side and you can kind of put the pieces together. Maybe what I talked about a little bit earlier as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that <clears throat> this is still maybe a bit of a waiting process as we try to figure out specifics on this. Um, but I do think that there is a commit that, you know, might have happened <laughs> a few days ago. I don't want to dive too deep into it because I feel like if you kind of put the pieces together, you kind of know where this is going. Um, but I will say there are some a couple guys out there that were awaiting decisions on um, and this one in particular. So stay tuned basically is uh, what the best advice would be and probably find out sooner rather than later. But uh, yes, a little something to uh, wait on there still. Thank you, Bears 224. ZT Smith 423, even with the loss of Ika, do you think this year's defensive line can be as good or better than last year's? I do. I, I think it can be better. And you know, last year, I felt like they got put into this position where they weren't fast and they weren't athletic and they weren't creating any pressure on opposing quarterbacks with their front three or four. And this year, I think they're more versatile. They have more depth, you know, a bunch of guys who can do a lot of different things. I think they're more athletic. And I think the focus on pass rushing has been absolutely massive throughout the spring and into the summer. And I think that's going to make them very well equipped to handle whatever they see in the Big 12. I'm very intrigued by the unit they're building. And I don't necessarily think they're done building that unit going into the season. Thank you, ZT. Uh, I think Ika is going to be a big law. He's just such a, I mean, he's a large human. He's, it's not easy to replace those guys, but you know, he wasn't perfect by any means. I mean, there were definitely some flaws in his game at times as well. Um, so yeah, interesting mix of guys, but I do think they're going to feel that, that a little bit. You just play around it and play a little bit differently. Yeah. I think it's the guys around him more so than just him. I mean, they just, they never really figured out Jackson player, how to really get him involved. I, I just, I feel like they have done a better job with the transfer portal finding guys that fit but you're right like for how they were built the last two years you absolutely have to have a guy like Apu but I think this year maybe just built a little bit different and that that could end up helping them 
from uh, staff member Travis Roeder, outside of quarterback, who are the three irreplaceable guys on each side of the ball, i.e. I would, uh, I would be the worst season-ending injuries, not that I am prepping for an article or anything. So there <laughs> you go. Uh, who would be the most irreplaceable guys on each side of the ball? Yeah, so for me, it's actually um, the Barrington brothers on oh, on the offense side. It's the Barrington brothers and Keytron Jackson. Those are the three guys. I just I don't necessarily think they have the guys to replace a left tackle or a center. Um, and if they do, it's guys that aren't proven commodities up to this point. And then Keytron, I just think he's going to be a difference maker on the outside for them at wide receiver. So I'll go with that group. I have confidence in Shapin and Robertson. If one of them were to get hurt, that the the other can play really well. And tight end, I think they've built enough depth there to withstand a you know if. Drake Dabney got injured. I, I think they've built enough there with Jake Roberts and a few others. Uh, on the defensive side, Gabe Hall. Yeah, I, they Gabe Hall, I think the versatility that he's going to bring, I think he could play nose tackle. He could play end. He could play defense tackle. Like He's a guy who's very versatile, and I, I think he's going to end up probably being their most important defense alignment. Uh, you could have also gone with TJ Franklin there. I would understand that. Um, and I'm going to go with him, I guess, because you got to get three of them. So, yeah, TJ as well, just their veteran leadership, both of them. Great one-two punch. In the secondary, it's Devin Lemire. I, I don't think they can afford to lose him. Um, when he was injured at the end of last year and playing through that shoulder injury, they really struggled uh, in the secondary. And I, I just think he's their veteran leader back there. And if they lose him, I, I think they'd have some big problems uh, on the back end. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm, I'm pretty much on the same playing as you um you know i would have said monterey baldwin although they played plenty without him but i don't know i kind of lean towards him more than than jackson just because we have seen more from monterey at this point and we know that when he's healthy and he plays he is a difference maker but it is a, you know they have played without him uh as well so uh, i'm kind of torn there because i think with him i'm hoping that Na like to me, neighbors is closer to being a Monterey than anyone else on the roster mm -hmm. is to being a Keytron. But that's that's yeah, my no, only. I but it. I also understand we saw last year the step back they took without Monterey, so yeah. we've kind of already seen it. Yeah, I mean they they need some guy. They need Keytron Jackson and any number of guys to step up and be playmakers and and to join the fray. I mean Baldwin's good when he's available, but again that availability is sort of hit or miss. So. Uh, he could use some company. So, yeah, I could, you could maybe debate on having him in there. The Barringtons make a lot of sense. I mean, there's just not a lot of, quite frankly, irreplaceable guys, I don't feel like, that are just like, man, this guy, if he, if, man, they're, they're screwed if they lose him. I mean, if Richard Reese goes down, that would suck, but you have three, four other guys that you feel good about. Tight end, that's a pretty thick room. Wide receiver, there's nobody that's so proven that you're like, without them, they're they're pretty much just all sort of prove-it guys uh, still at this point. Um, offensive line, nobody's like, Tate Williams hasn't done enough at this point to say like, oh, God, if they lose him, no. you know? So, Shapin, I mean, shoot, some folks don't even want him to be the <laughs> starter. So, right. you know, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of who, who you have to whittle it down to is, is kind of the same guys. Defensively, I, I'd go Franklin. Um, I think Mike Smith sounds like a guy who's going to possibly be one of those that you would not want to be playing without. Um, and I look at the corner spots, and I don't feel like you can really use, lose a corner and feel all that great. But then again, you also don't really know what you have there. Right. That, that's kind of my problem with the cornerback yeah. spots. Like, okay, well, if you're going to say you can't lose one, but is the guy backing him up right. really that big of a downgrade? But like, I just think if you start to whittle it down, then you're really digging into a, a hole potentially. So, yeah, I mean, you could, you could go a lot of different ways with it, but I think we're kind of on the same – Mm -hmm. Same wavelength as far as who would be hard to replace. Thank you, Travis. Um, let's see. Big Cheese 83 would lose an Ika no longer having a dude and nose. It seems like we're trying to vary our D-line schemes up to make up for our lack of nose depth. Do you think this will overall be a positive choice, or are you concerned it will cause the defense to struggle with their identity? Yeah, I mean, I think they will use a nose tackle at times with Jarrell Boykins, Trey Emery, um, but I do think in general, this is going to be very positive. And Matthew Pallage is bringing in, you know, what he wants to do on the defensive side, along with, of course, what Dave Aranda wants to do. But I, I just think they're, 
They have less massive guys, which I understand losing Apu, losing losing Jackson player, having that versatility is great, but I also think they're getting more athletic. You're going to see guys like Trey Wilson, Jackie Marshall um, get out there and have meaningful snaps. You know, they went out and added a Trevin Maya a transfer. They, I just feel like you get Gabe Hall, you get TJ Franklin out there for more snaps as well. I just think in general, they're more athletic, they're longer, they're better at pass rushing. I think this is going to end up being ultimately ultimately a very big positive for Baylor as they transition maybe more and more towards having some four-man fronts, having some three-man fronts, having two defense linemen on the field and then putting Byron Vaughns and Garmin Randolph on the outside in a peso package. Like, I think they're going to be more versatile and they're going to get after the quarterback more. Yeah, I think that it provides an opportunity to be a little bit more versatile for sure. I mean, he was a great anchor, but he was a heavy anchor in the middle, and if you didn't have him, you're kind of like, well, what do we do? And uh, that wasn't always a, a great thing to not be able to shift away from him and then you know, still be able to play defense at a super high level. It was like they were a little bit too dependent on him um, the last couple of years at times. And, you know, it, when it comes to that identity, that identity got the defensive coordinator fired. Uh, that identity, yeah. you know, had some changes take over on that side of the football. So I get the premise, though, of where you're coming from, and they have had success there, but they also didn't have nearly enough last year that it created, you know, some pretty significant changeover. So uh, with that change comes change in how they've been doing things, and, you know, then you lose a guy like that, and it's just only natural to see it's going to look different than, yeah. than it has. So, um, no, I don't worry about an identity. I think they've got a new identity to establish under Matthew Pallage because they haven't proven anything yet on that side of the ball. So we'll see what that identity looks like. Um, but I think they're on their way to finding it. I don't worry about that. Uh, Bear for Cleats, close it out. Brett Yormark's publicly stated he wants to raise brand awareness of the Big 12. My opinion, this is especially important in a new era of college sports where things like NIL and Portal play such a big role. While the Big 12 has made an effort to increase their online presence, I still scratch my head at some at Baylor's somewhat lackluster approach. Case in point, the Media Day announcement from the Big 12 back on June 27th was followed by same-day announcements from the majority of the schools in the league except Baylor. These schools use this league-wide media splash to promote their program and their athletes participating. This is simple marketing 101, and it showed an example of all of the tweet graphics that everybody had sent out and I guess Baylor's everybody else had like a, a graphic they had made and Baylor had like a pick of AT&T Stadium just with the mm -hmm. announcement that you know hey it's media days week uh, yesterday Baylor football posted a pick of AT&T with their announcement it's Big 12 Conference media days week what kind of message do you think this lackluster approach to branding sends to recruits current athletes and potential transfers thanks as always for what you guys do and thank you for the question, Bear for Cleats. We appreciate you. And uh, that will close us on down this week. Yeah, I mean, so it looks to me like all the other schools are posting, like, their media members, the guys who were invited to media Yeah, they made graphics. Their attendees. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I mean, I think Baylor should have. I don't know why they didn't. Do I think that this is a big deal? No. Do I think that this is going to somehow impact recruiting, that they didn't post one graphic about media days with their media attendees? No. But I do think it's an area of improvement. I think we've talked about that some, that their social media presence could get better. Um, so I think it's an opportunity to grow, but I don't think that this is a deal where it's changing the minds of recruits on whether they would want to come to Baylor or making the current athletes upset. I don't view it that way. Maybe other people do, but I, I think, again, more just room for improvement because I do agree probably could have created their own graphic here. Yeah, probably could have done a little bit more, especially when you see – some of the others uh, and how they, well, most of the others and how they uh, announced, you know, what's upcoming. Uh, I, I see the point there. I have, you know, made the comment from time to time. I don't know how often on the podcast or not, but sometimes it feels like they kind of like get stuck and could use a refresh, you know, even like the templates that they, you know, just kind of like shake it up and just start, start over and do something a little brand new. I've definitely felt that way because it, I don't know, it was when they were announcing birthdays or something here in the last couple of months, and I was just like, is that the... And it might not be the same graphic, but it just feels like it's the mm -hmm. same graphic. Like, it's so similar that I don't even notice if it has changed. And, like, right. that kind of stuff, I've thought, like, yeah, maybe every year you want to, like, you know, shuffle the deck a little bit. So I, I can definitely understand that point of view. But, yeah, as long as it's not hurting recruits and it's not hindering the brand in any way, I don't think it's a huge deal. But, like you said, it is an area for improvement. It's an area to look at. And I do think that when you're 
you know, setting up these programs nowadays, whoever it may be that's taking over as head coaches, a lot of them know like, hey, the social media awareness and the, the image of the brand on social media, you know, you can do a lot of, you know, good with that and a lot of damage with that in, in a positive way. And I think there's coaches that, that lean into that more than others. And Dave Aranda is certainly not somebody that leans super heavy into that. So I think that probably has something to do with it. But you do have to have a presence. And if you do it the right way, then you really can uh, add some juice to your program. So they could they could probably, you know, probably do a little bit better in that regard. But we'll see how they do the rest of this preseason before you getting too critical of, of any of that. Um mm-hmm. And, you know, see kind of what they dish out here over the next couple of days of media days as well. So appreciate the question. Definitely something I've kind of noticed a little bit as well. And uh, that will close it out for this week. Uh, Covered a lot of ground and obviously we'll have a lot of information to pour through starting on Wednesday with uh, Dave Aranda and what he has to say and then a handful of players and what all they have to say and uh, just everything else from Big 12 Media Day. So, Grayson, before we head on out of here, uh, any last parting words or things to uh, promote or highlight or any of that kind of stuff? Yeah, I mean, just be sure to follow Sikkim365. Um, And if you're not a premium subscriber, please do so. I I think you're going to miss a lot of the Big 12 Media Day coverage that we're going to provide this week. We're going to have so much content. It's going to be great. Uh, Lots of recruiting information. I think some decisions that could be coming in the near future. Um, And then, of course, be sure to check out just kind of our social media channels and uh, 365 Sports Radio Monday through Friday, 3 to 6, which y'all will be in at Big 12 Media Days this week. Yeah, well, be we'll fun. be there starting tomorrow and then be there all day on Thursday as well. Uh, we're not one of those that, like, swoops in just for the team we cover. And then, I mean, no, we'll be there the whole time. So lots of coaches, uh, possibly some ADs, players, etc., will be making their way by our table and we'll be passing along everything of interest uh, possible. So looking forward to it and, uh, you know, just kind of more of a countdown to the regular season being right around the corner. So hope that you enjoy uh, what we bring to you and we definitely appreciate you listening, watching, reading, however you take in our content. Thanks to Garrett Ross behind the scenes and thanks to Grayson Grunhafer. Uh, we will talk to you next from Big 12 Media Days uh, and talk to you from 3 to 6 and we'll be back with this show uh, next Tuesday at noon here from the studios with a lot to unpack from what we saw, heard, and read in Arlington. Until next time, I'm Craig Smoke. This has been the Bearcast on Sikkim365.com.